November 14, 1922, the British Broadcasting Company begins radio service in the United Kingdom. Still around today, the BBC has produced upwards of 47 episodes and 12 series of television. Welcome to The Revisionists. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And we have a very special guest for you uh, this evening, uh, if you're listening to this in the evening. Um, I, I, it might be fair to call him a magnate of podcasts at this point. Um, uh, certainly, it's long overdue because the same artwork we've had since we yes. launched this five years ago has uh, was designed by, uh, by our guest tonight. Um, indeed, the uh, co-host of Predictacast and Hot Diggity Dog, along with the uh, late lamented uh, Butterfly Kisses, um, Josh Hollis, everyone. Well, thank you very much for that that very warm welcome. That makes me feel like I'm more important than I am. Um, and if you guys need any updated artwork or you want to, like, you know, revise it, make it look even better, get, you know, let me know. Because um, I'm better now than I was five years ago. Uh, and Butterfly Kisses could be coming back uh, sometime soon, uh, so don't lament it too much. Oh, uh, I would say, yeah, um, A, uh, the artwork is great, but we are called the revisionists, so maybe it would one day behoove us to <laughs> revise our cover, but uh, at the same time, <laughs> like, I have done, I don't know, I have guested on probably six to eight podcasts you've done the cover art for and hosted at least two or three <laughs> so at this point yeah it's that a was that was indulgent. my uh that was my thing for a while yeah i just yeah. i just went around and was like need art mm-hmm. i'll do it and josh very and it's all great yeah even as recently as halloween made a picture of myself and my girlfriend slash past guest shannon camp and our cat luna as various characters from the shining in scenes from the shining oh man your oh costumes were so good if if people haven't seen those they absolutely should They're, the costumes were great and i was just like oh these are perfect they could totally i i know that i could find a shot in the movie where these would fit and yeah it was it that was fun that like inspired me to actually do something <laughs> Well, those- it, was a, it was the time we all needed. It was Halloween a few days before election night. <laughs> Any distraction will do. You know what I'm saying? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, listeners, the last episode we recorded, just to give you a time frame, was on the same night that Rudy Giuliani was caught masturbating to Borat's fake daughter. Um, so-, <laughs> so much has happened. Four the seasons war- total landscaping happened. <laughs> the election happened. Yeah, the, the big celebrations happened. The attempted coup has sort of started happening. It's been a crazy yeah. couple of weeks since we last talked to you, our listeners. I mean, I'll tell you. If there's going to be a coup, I want it in the least competent hands possible. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, those hands stuffed down Rudy Giuliani's pants. Yeah. Um, Anyway. You can't handle the fraudulent ballots and your dick at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God damn it. Uh, listeners, if you're new to the show, uh, we don't just talk about Rudy Giuliani's genitals. Uh, what we do no, it is a feature every week. Just <laughs> yeah. up top, we say what's new I, well, with Rudy I, Giuliani's dick, and then we move. That's on. why I thought I was here. So I don't know. I'm, I feel like I've been lied to. I mean, Josh is one of the preeminent experts in the field. <laughs> That's right. Podcast cover art and Rudy Giuliani's dick. Yeah, yeah. You got that fellowship, right? <laughs> um. What we do, what we actually do is each episode we take a topic from history, 
one person presents the official USDA-approved version of events, and another person comes up with a crazy batshit, no-rules-just-right, Outback Steakhouse version of events. Sure. Uh, And the winner goes on to become the truth uh, in this little pocket of the multiverse. I think that's the first time you've used, like, a fast food chain or sit-down restaurant. Let's not disparage Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, let's not, let's um, give them their due. <laughs> for the slogan, but I think it's a real, like... Wait, are they Awesome Blossom or Bloomin' Onion? Uh, I think they're Awesome Blossom. No, they're Bloomin' Onion. Bloomin they're is, Bloomin' Onion. Yeah. Okay. But I, I like that, that idea. I want to continue to use slogans from fast food restaurants to describe the alternate the i'm loving it version the have it your way version (laughs) the what's wendy's slogan version uh where's the beef yeah the where's the beef version (laughs) (laughs) that one yeah if you uh we don't have results yet for our most recent episode um, which was h.h holmes h.h holmes um but results are in for spring heel jack and Gina Radcliffe's alternate history won out, mm-hmm. uh, in which Jack was a, a Hudsucker proxy type figure. Who um, yeah, he lived in a weird Seuss village when he was young, mm-hmm. and then became a Hudsucker proxy type inventor later on. Uh, a well-deserved victory. I recommend you go back and listen to that episode. It's a fun one. Indeed. With the come down from our spooktacular... We're going to be diving back into medical history for at least a few more episodes. <laughs> and we're returning, of course, to the medical history episode boilerplate warning of there's a lot of, like, gore and upsetting stuff this is, in these episodes. So we have, like, there are certain kinds of episodes. There are certain episodes where it's just, like, horrific, horrific shit that happened in history. Like, uh, when we talk about the rubber trade or something like that. This is one where... There's no murder. Nobody gets murdered, but it's pretty gross. It might straight up be like the <laughs> grossest of the stories. I'll say that right now. But we are discussing the case of Phineas Gage. Um, Zach, you're doing the actual history. Uh, yeah, indeed. And uh, Josh, you'll be doing the alternate. All right, I'm ready. All right. Uh, Zach, whenever you're ready, take it away. Well, Phineas Gage was born in 1823 in Grafton, New Hampshire. He was one of five kids, and extremely little is known about his childhood, his education, anything like that, except that he was able to read, which at the time was unusual to some degree. (laughs) Quite a feat. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Prior to his accident, He was described by uh, a physician and friend named John Harlow as a healthy, strong, and active young man uh, of nervobilious temperament. Um, (laughs) And he possessed an iron will and an iron frame, which is like, this guy's just, he's like an early Stan Lee describing his (laughs) comic book character. Muscular system, unusually well-developed. (laughs) having had scarcely a day's illness from his childhood to the date of his injury so this is like he was trying i I, i'm curious if harlow was trying to create a superhero and his plan just didn't work (laughs) but uh in case you were curious about the phrase nervobilious at the time the temperaments 
were slightly different than we use them now, or this was a trend in how you describe temperaments. It means excitable and active mental powers with a combination of energy and strength of mind and body, uh, making possible great endurance uh, uh, mentally and physically. So it just sounds like he's a fucking great guy. And this was, um, I think that was like the result of specifically like someone doing phrenology. Yeah. Like yeah. a phrenological analysis on gauge. Yeah, yeah, I think these terms were popular for a short time in the 1800s and fell out of fashion at some point. Um, <laughs> but it's probable that Gage worked with explosive and construction uh, fairly early in his life. He became a blasting foreman by the age of 25 in railway constructions. Uh, and his team considered him smart, effective, energetic, shrewd, uh, basically all good things, good Good foreman, excellent at his job. He even commissioned his own tamping rod uh, for setting explosives. We'll probably talk about tamping rods a little more later. Oh, we'll get into some tamping rods. Don't yeah. don't you worry, listeners. Yeah. yeah. If you <laughs> want, we'll sell you the whole seat. We have a lot of overlap with our tamping rods, and you guys are not going to be disappointed in this episode. <laughs> We've heard your criticism loud and clear, not enough tamping rods. <laughs> We've been edging you for 122 episodes, but here it is, yeah. the payoff. Regardless, on September 13th, 1848, uh, while he was blasting rock in Vermont in preparation for a railroad. Uh, by the way, the way blasting rock was done at the time was you would blast a hole in a rock, pack explosives into the hole, and then tamp them down and cover it with sand to centralize the explosion in the rock to weaken it from the inside. So mm-hmm. Gage, uh, at a certain point around 4.30 p.m., is uh, his attention is caught by some folks working behind him. He turns around at just not a great time. And... <laughs> it was almost 5 o'clock, and he was just waiting. Yeah, he was like, it's almost 5 o'clock here. 5 o'clock somewhere. For, fucking forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, shit, I didn't think that through, and then... Yeah. Um, so he he turns just as the charge goes off, uh, according to accounts. Um, possibly the charge was improper, improperly packed with sand because the tamping iron, um, which was 1.25 inches in diameter and three and a half feet long, <laughs> shot out of the blasting hole uh, through his upper jaw just under the cheek, went behind his left eye, through uh, the left lobe of his brain and out the top of his head and landed 80 feet away, covered with blood and brain. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, he convulsed briefly, um, but was apparently speaking again within minutes of the accident and didn't need much assistance walking. Within 30 Mm -hmm. minutes, he was at the, uh, a hotel, uh, the hotel of his uh, physician, Edward H. Williams. And he was found, found sitting on a chair outside of the hotel uh, where he told Williams, here is enough business for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a weird sort of vaguely hostile way to greet a doctor. Yeah. He stopped at the hotel bar for a drink first. (laughs) It was like that part in the dark Knight where two face has a drink and it leaks out the side of his face, but he's mostly fine. (laughs) You should be dead, my friend, but I guess you're drinking. Um, 
So the, the physician uh, did not initially believe his story. In fact, uh, over the next few years, most people didn't initially believe his story, but eventually it was found out to be true. Uh, Sorry, who was Two-Face in that movie? I'm, it wasn't Alan Tudyk, but it was the other dude. Uh, Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Sorry. That was driving me a little... Up. Okay, sorry. Uh, regardless... Aaron Eckhart is also playing Phineas Gage, I think, in the movie that's coming well, out. So Good. I'm glad he's getting work. I haven't seen him in a while. Um, uh, so, uh, he didn't believe the story initially, but uh, at one point during his examination, while Gage told the story, uh, and he told it freely, he seemed to be perfectly able to communicate. At one point, Gage gets up, he vomits, and, quote, half a teacup full of the brain was pressed out of the top of his head as he vomited and fell on the floor. So, we told you part is the the measurement of half a teacup full. Yeah. Just an estimate. They're going to eyeball it. And it also just, it sounds pleasant a little a little bit yeah it's like uh hannibal in his later years that's how he measures <laughs> yeah it's if we ever get season four mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh a few about an hour later harlow who i mentioned earlier his friend and also a physician took over the operation and gage immediately recognized him when he walked in the door Mm-hmm. Harlow shaved the scalp around the wound, removed some blood and bone coagulation, and, quote, an ounce uh, or more of brain. Uh, at this point, he bandaged uh, the wound. He put some adhesive strips over the actual entry and exit points uh, loosely so drainage could um, could come out and applied a nightcap. <laughs> that's um, my favorite fucking part yeah uh, and also address some burns on his face and arms from the explosion it's basically how they would keep someone's brain in their head in a Bugs Bunny cartoon yeah pretty much <laughs> pretty much uh, Gage could recognize his mother and father on the second day uh, he did slip into fits of delirium but on day four, he was seemingly better. He could recognize friends again. And Harlow was optimistic uh, for his recovery after a week. But between the 12th and 14th day of his recovery, he went into a near comatose state. He was barely responsive and only spoke in monosyllabic answers. And this caused Harlow, uh, people expected him to die, but this caused Harlow to look again at his wound. And after cutting off, quote, the fungi which were sprouting out from the top of the braid and filling the opening and applying some antiseptic, uh, silver nitrate, he opened the forehead muscle from the entrance to the wound down to the nose with a scalpel, at which point eight ounces of, quote, <laughs> ill-conditioned pus and fetid blood were discharged. Um, this is actually pretty great for Gage because uh, (laughs) despite how it sounds despite how it sounds there were not a lot of physicians who had a lot of knowledge about cerebral abscesses and Harlow was one of the few so Mm -hmm. had he not had Harlow at his side he, he probably would have died from this 
infection right after right after the initial accident. Um, a couple weeks later, he was able to step uh, to to take a few steps. A month after that, he could fully walk again, even upstairs. Uh, he would even go out in the street, but he often refused to wear a coat or boots, even when his friends pressured him to do so. And it seemed mm-hmm. like he was dif- it was difficult to control his actions at this point. But he was clearly f- at least physically recovering. Um, he eventually returned to his parents' home about 10 weeks after the uh, accident. And uh, by February, about five months after the accident, he was able to do chores around the house. His mother thought that his memory seemed impaired, but only slightly. Um, He eventually lost sight in his left eye, uh, but not immediately. It took about uh, something like a year before that happened. Um, And it was said that through the hole in his head, through the, the bone sticking out there, you could see the pulsations of his brain. Uh, yeah yeah uh however over time over a year or two his recovery seemed quote harlow quite complete uh gage gave his tampering bar to the warren museum in uh harvard uh the harvard school of medicine for a little while but later reclaimed it and took it with him literally everywhere calling it his constant companion (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I, i missed that part yeah, so that was the tamping rod. That was the one that went through his, through his brain. <laughs> well, they are they are bound together now. Yeah, in a way, yeah, they've got like a buddy act or something. Yeah, it's again to go back to Two Face. It's Two Face's coin for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to flip a thirteen pound tamping iron, though. Also, it's not sh- shaped in any way conducive for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, So in November 1949, Henry Jacob Bigelow uh, of Harvard took Gage in for several weeks of observation. Um, And also Gage was uh, unable to regain his... The the results of that were unclear. It was not made clear to me how much they learned from that, but they did it. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, he couldn't regain his railroad job. and he actually spent some time as a sort of living display for Barnum's American Museum in New York, mm-hmm. which is not affiliated with the the Barnum Circus that did not exist at the time. Um, he also did appearances at various small towns for a fee, though it seemed like he did that with some reluctance. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, he started and ran a stable and coach service in New Hampshire. And in 1852, he went to Chile. Uh, to care for horses for a long-distance coach driver. He left Chile in 1859. His health had taken a turn for the worse, possibly because of the stresses of his job and the exposure that came with it, and went to San Francisco, where his mother and sister now lived, and he was nursed back to health. But after recovering, you know, he was eager to work again. It seemed like Gage was always like an avid worker. He was very eager to like maintain employment. So he went to work on a farm in Santa Clara, but less than a year later, he began his, he uh, began to have seizures more and more often and left that job as well. He was actually removed from it. Um, He continued to try and pick up odd work for a while, but he just was having trouble at this point doing any real job. So on May 20th, uh, 1860, Two weeks after leaving Santa Clara and coming back to San Francisco, where his mother lived, 
Or two days, I should say. Sorry, Santa Clara is not the town from Lost Boys, is it? Santa Barbara, I believe, is the town from Lost Boys, if memory serves. (laughs) Sorry, I had, I was taking notes on this also, and I wrote down, like, (laughs) I wrote down an extensive thing about Lost Boys and then realized that doesn't sound right. Uh, I think Josh might know. I don't think it's a real town. Uh, It's Santa Carla. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Um, Sorry for the dumbest interruption. Close, close. Uh, Yeah. He, uh, so two days after getting back to San Francisco, he had a very severe convulsion. Uh, A physician treated and bled him, but the convulsions continued into that, uh, the rest of that day and into the night. He died early the next morning and was buried the same day, which is some efficiency. Like, they just (laughs) fucking had it ready to go. They were like... I guess maybe they dug a coffin after the uh, grave after the accident. We're like, yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things I found was that that like first night, I think, or it may have been after like that two week period when he sort of became semi comatose. Mm-hmm. Like his family and friends apparently had his coffin like in the house. Oh with yeah, him I read that because they were like ready they, to go. Yeah, this family is like very serious about burying their their kin. <laughs> <laughs> and as we'll his, see later, pretty cool with unburying them. Oh, his, shit, const- okay. his constant companion, the tamping rod, and also his coffin. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, guys, could you could you like put that in the other room at yeah, least? Very, or? very yeah, I could see why you thought it was Santa Carla because some 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 <laughs> vampire ass shit. <laughs> and of course Santa Carl, which is the town from Family Matters. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, regardless, I shot a kid. <laughs> May twenty first, eighteen sixty. He died twelve years after his accident, and just a few weeks shy of age thirty seven. Mm-hmm. But uh, to some degree, his his story continued. Um, in eighteen sixty six, Harlow uh, found out about his death. He'd kind of lost track of him for a long time, and requested that his skull be exhumed for study. Uh, mm-hmm. The family was like, "Yeah, that's cool." <laughs> and and just don't fuck with the coffin. We really liked that coffin. They personally delivered the skull and tamping rod to Harlow. Um, and after some study, it went back to the Warren Anatomical Museum in the Harvard School of Medicine, where it resides to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, as for his body, in 1940, his headless remains were moved out of San Francisco to a cemetery in Colma, California, because there was a mandated relocation of all cemeteries outside of the San Francisco city limits. So, there you go. I feel like that's come up before, and I can't remember on which one. Yeah, well. Maybe Emperor Norton. Gotta make room for tech bros to have their two bedroom apartments. <laughs> is there is there any information about the the skull and the tamping rod on display? Did they put the tamping rod back into the skull and display them together, connected, uh, or are they, did, they separate? They do display them separately out of dignity. Although there is like they did uh, inscribe uh, a thing like a date that it was donated on the tamping rod. I think, mm-hmm. and they also wrote the words "This rod went through Phineas Gage's skull" or something like that. Oh, I thought he did that when he was like touring, when he was doing like I the stuff with Barnum. I think the first time it went to the museum, they wrote that. Oh, okay. And then okay. he got it back after. 
Um, that makes sense. Uh, there was also the thing I read that while he was... The two things that interested me about the time he spent in Chile, one that, A, Harlow tracked him down in uh, in Chile, um, and because it was a thing where he kept falling in and out of contact him, with him, like you said, uh, and like heard he was down there and went down to like see how he was doing. Because famously, if you've heard of Gage, you've probably heard that his personality and mentality shifted dramatically after the accident and the full details of this seem a bit uneven sometimes um there's not a lot of contemporary accounts of what he was like before or even after his accident harlow is the primary uh figure from which we draw this information but again, Harlow, before his accident, said he was responsible, efficient, capable, and, quote, a great favorite. Like, Harlow <laughs> fucking loved this dude before the accident. Um, however, after the accident, immediately, I should say, after the accident, Harlow's description of him was um, uh the equilibrium or balance, so to speak, between his intellectual f- facility uh, faculties and animal propensities seemed to have been destroyed. He is fitful, irreverent, indulging at times in the grossest profanity, which was not previously his custom, manifesting little deference for his fellows, impatient of restraint, uh, at times uh, pertinent. Uh, uh, wait, at times capricious and uh, vacillating, devising many plans of future operations, which are no sooner arranged than abandoned. Um, A child in his intellectual capacity and manifestations, he has the animal passions of a strong man. His mind was radically changed. So decidedly, his friends and acquaintances said he was, quote, no longer gauge. That was his uh, that was his account of what he was like after the accident. Harlow did not publish that account until years after Gage's death. It's worth noting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's possible because he didn't want to speak ill of him while he was alive. His earlier reports were vague. He talked about changes, but only in the most distant sense and said he would relate more about them later. Uh, but he allegedly privately said that Gage did change after the accident. Um, Ever since you got that rod through your head, you've really changed. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Mr. Show used to be about the music. <laughs> now you're just about having a fucking rod through your head. Yeah, he's Benny from fucking Rent. Um, <laughs> but people from Chile did not agree with such a radical account. Uh, they said he was an engaged. Uh, he was engaged in sta- stage driving. Uh, and in the enjoyment of good health, with no impairment whatsoever to his mental facilities, uh, they said that his sh- uh, personality. They said that uh, he had to deal with difficult situations and people, and did so with a plum, and was very, you know, considerate and you know, well put together. It doesn't sound like the intense shift that Harlow recounted. Um, and the implication here is, and this is corroborated, but to some degree, the earlier ones seem to be too, which implies that possibly the personality shifts were temporary. Um, this man had a horrible accident that damaged his brain and had to recover from it 
in more than just the physical sense is mm. the is is the inference I get from these accounts, which are again limited and few. But I, I just think this is a guy who had a really bad injury and eventually got better both physically and in terms of I don't know, like fixing whatever damage to his brain shifted his social norms or his ability to deal with certain emotions. Yeah. There are popular accounts of this guy that uh, always exaggerate the change, almost always exaggerate the change. It's like he's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde figure who afterwards was like absolutely insane, a drifter, a degenerate, a psychopath. People say that he had a predisposition to beat women and children or sexually attack people. There is no basis whatsoever for any of that. It seems like he was rude or um, impatient for at least a time after the accident, but he did not become a monster. He was just Mm -hmm. a guy who had a horrible experience and recovered from it. Uh, There's a lot of obviously examination of his uh, injury from uh, neuroscientists, people who study the brain. I'm not going to go into all that because I'm not qualified to speak on it. There's it's all out there. If you want to look at it, Um, you know, which parts of his brain affected the change? Was it white matter or gray matter? Stuff like that. But overall, that is the story of Phineas Gage. There's even like, there are papers that use him as sort of the, the focus of study coming out even as i think the most recent one i saw in like reading i think on npr was like from 2012 mm-hmm. um where they're doing like 3d modeling of yeah. his skull They've and th- things like done that a lot so. of simulations of his accident and all these kind of things yeah mm-hmm. um yeah zach thank you of course uh josh whenever you're ready take it away all right i uh for my alternate history i went the most obvious way possible. So here we go. Phineas P. Gage uh, was an American metal worker responsible mm-hmm. for spreading the act of body piercing and body modification <laughs> across America in the mid-19th century. Born sometime in 1823, his exact date of birth is obscured because of a small rip in his birth certificate. Phineas... <laughs> <laughs> a mysterious, a mysterious rip. Phineas found himself drawn to the act of body piercing and modification at an early age. His mother, Phyllis Gage, a New Hampshire socialite, was said to have worn earrings that dazzled passersby, and many believe this is where Phineas's early fascination with body piercing began. Mm-hmm. His father, Philip Gage, uh, had run off to Europe before Phineas's birth, mm. apparently on the trail of a mysterious artifact that he believed would make his wildest fantasies come true, and he was never heard from again. Okay. Uh, as a boy, uh, Phineas would marvel at his mother's earrings, but also mm. at her piercings. He was fascinated by the way the lobes were strong enough to hold the jewelry. And though it was unusual at the time, uh, his mother helped Phineas pierce his own ears in their kitchen when he was eight years old. Oh, uh, like afterward. the ice cube method? Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there's no exact uh, uh, information on how they did it, but mm-hmm. that seems to be the leading theory. I, uh, um, I have to say, when you said Philip, right, I thought, oh, Prince Philip which I think is actually the character from Sleeping Beauty. And I have confused <laughs> that with Prince Albert. 
which you may know as a certain kind of piercing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> are we are we being coy about it? It's a dick piercing. <laughs> yeah, well. We we've been very you know, PG this episode. <laughs> there hasn't been, say, a scene where somebody vomited and part of their brain fell out of their head at the same time. That's, that's exactly the problem. We can show kids all this, talk to kids about all this gore, but we can't talk about the beautiful human penis. <laughs> and putting a metal bar through it. The, uh. Yeah, the majesty of Prince Albert's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so afterwards, after he got his ears pierced, um, he was frequently seen wandering the neighborhood. His fingers looped through the pierced earlobes, kind of stretching them out as he walked. Um, and was, you know, good. Uh, he, he was a good sport and, and people, people liked him <laughs> in the neighborhood. Uh, so uh, as a teenager, he studied uh, metalworking. And he began to use those newfound skills to create instruments for piercings and lobe stretching. That's the same. Your description of him is like this local oddball that everybody kind of likes. For Halloween, for the first time in years, I watched the Disney version of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and it reminds me of Ichabod Crane at the beginning of that (laughs) short. Yes, very very similar. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, And he soon became known as the Neighborhood Piercer, um, with some reports estimating that he had pierced more than half the ears and more than a few nostrils in his county. Mm. Um, Nostrils, even. (laughs) Nostrils, even, yes. He was expanding uh, his craft. Uh, An article in the uh, Nashua Telegraph quoted him as saying, I just like making holes with my needles and seeing what the skin does. <laughs> I think so, I think out of context it sounds a little more alarming yeah, I mean, than it did at the time. Phineas Gabe or Gage or Albert Fish, you decide. <laughs> uh, that well, is, I think very close to some. <laughs> while he was not the most uh, well-spoken individual, clearly uh, it, the the love of his craft came through in the article and and was infectious to those who knew him uh, from the neighborhood. Uh, he even reportedly uh, gave the mayor uh, a special piercing and guided him on uh, stretching out his earlobes. Um, so, you know, he continued to do this for, for quite some time. I think this is um, a phobia of Brian's based on his reaction. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yes, I, I was worried how this might go. I was like, is this too gruesome? But then I realized who we were actually talking about. And yeah. I think anything that Zach said is, is far more gruesome than anywhere I'm going. <laughs> No, oh, I d- the- it's definitely not more gruesome. It's just like a like personal phobia of mine that I'm sorry, I think- can't explain without more therapy. You think uh, unusual piercings that normal people you see in society have are worse than <laughs> ill-conditioned pus and fetid blood falling out by eight ounces of your forehead skin? <laughs> Literally just said they were not worse. um so when he was 18 years old uh he set off across the globe because he wanted to sort of see the world and learn new things and he he stopped in myanmar and india and he learned all about body piercing and skin stretching and all, all these different techniques um tragically though while he was abroad uh his mother passed away after contracting tetanus while moving a box of his piercing instruments 
Um, so, you know, very sad, very ironic in a way. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> after he <laughs> after he returned to America and, and mourned her passing, um, he decided to kind of set off across the country uh, like a needle-based Johnny Appleseed, uh, <laughs> piercing and stretching skin wherever he went. I think we all have a cousin who was like that in, in the 90s. <laughs> Throwing yeah, needles onto sidewalks and playgrounds as he went. <laughs> um, and he gained some new fans along the way, obviously. Uh, <laughs> during during his travels, he was also adding to his repertoire, including more nostril piercings, lip piercings, and nipple piercings. Um, there is a rumor, uh, it's unsubstantiated, but that he even pierced uh, cowboy heroes Wyatt Earp and Wild Bill Hickok before their heyday. Uh, though not anywhere that it would be easily visible. Mm, so, okay. again, a rumor, not substantiated, but uh, it was out there. Um, I'm picturing belly button, but that's <laughs> that's just me. And while he still kind of enjoyed the, the craft of what he was doing, uh, Phineas was growing sort of bored with the same types of piercings and the, the smaller holes that people were asking for. And he wanted more of a challenge. <laughs> So, so many choice phrasings that I love yeah. so much. So using his metalworking skills, which had only grown just, over I'm over sorry, time. Judge, but a few of these things I'm going to cut and take out of context and make a clip of you saying, I don't know what yet, but it's going to be interesting. <laughs> I, I give you my, my blessing to do that. Um, <laughs> so using his metalworking skills, um, he said about crafting larger and larger piercing needles, uh, which he would occasionally test on himself, stretching parts of his body sometimes to the limit. Um, and as his celebrity status had increased, uh, so too had the many willing participants who were eager to test out Phineas Gage's patented stretching spears. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was during one of these sessions where he ended up meeting uh, his the love of his life, basically. Uh, her name was Percy Miller, and she had never been uh, pierced before, uh, and she was nervous about it, but later she recounted that when she saw Phineas with his stretched out earlobes and his sort of off-center smile, she immediately felt at ease, and and the the piercing went smoothly, and they were soon inseparable. So you know he's like, he's, he's metaphorically on, he's, or literally. <laughs> Metaphorically, in this okay. case, um, <laughs> but I could see how you might take it that way. Um, <laughs> so uh, after about that, to like the dead ringers, if it was about piercing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so after that, Percy uh, was traveling with with Phineas across the country, learning his trade, and even kind of learning how to pierce and and stretch out skin and stuff on her own. Um, rumor has it again, there's a lot of rumors with, with Phineas Gage, uh, none are totally substantiated, but they're still fun to talk about and think about. Um, even United States president Franklin Pierce was interested in meeting with them about a potential, uh, piercing. Um, so they did this for a couple of years and things were good. They traveled from coast to coast, piercing and stretching nearly everyone they met, (laughs) Um, and eventually Percy decided that she wanted something a little bit more. She wanted, she wanted a family. Um, but Percy was not, or or rather, sorry, Phineas was not, uh, really into this idea. He kind of refused outright. 
claiming that he didn't think he could ever be a good father and claiming that he couldn't stop his life's work. Mm. Um, and so when they finished up their week of piercing appointments in Cleveland, uh, Percy did not continue on when Phineas left for the next town. Mm. Um, so, you know, this was a little bit of a devastation for, for both of them. Um, and so after their relationship ended, Phineas kind of threw himself into his work like never before. Um, friends of his at the time claimed that he was never satisfied and he kept pushing for larger and larger needles and as a result, larger and larger holes. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, this would prove to be his downfall. Mm. <laughs> um, the you search know, we, for the we, perfect hole. Just yeah. <laughs> that's that's right. Um, on, on a fateful Can day I, in in we, May of eighteen. Before we, oh, before we conclude, when he met with Franklin Pierce, did he intentionally infect his piercing? Because fuck that guy so much. <laughs> <laughs> Again, unsubstantiated. It's unclear if they ever actually met. It's just that the rumor was there that Franklin Pierce was interested in meeting with them. Okay. I think he took some ironic um, uh, fun out of the idea of maybe getting a piercing uh, from this <laughs> this renowned nationwide piercer. Um, and God, I hate Franklin Pierce. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but on a on a fateful day in in uh, May 1860. Uh, Phineas uh, threw open the window of his San Francisco Bay Area home and was heard to exclaim, I've done it. I've finally cracked it. Um, but <laughs> You there, what day is it? <laughs> <laughs> but sadly, it was not meant to be. Um, because later on that, uh, that evening, neighbors found him dead. Uh, <laughs> Apparently having tripped over his incredibly stretched earlobes and impaling himself on the largest needle they'd ever seen. (laughs) Um, But it's hard to understate the contributions that Phineas Gage has made to the art of body piercing and modification. In fact, as a way to honor him, the sizes of needles and stretchers were referred to as gauges. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the patent clerk who wrote it down wrote it down incorrectly. That's why there's a U in the middle of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and his impact uh, is continued to be felt to this day because every year, those who follow the body piercing lifestyle ap- uh, attend Funniest Festival, um, which is a festival all about Phineas Gage, where attendees get to show off their piercings and their stretchings, and they get piercings and they attend lectures and they celebrate the art and life of Phineas Gage, a man who pierced a needle into the heart of the country. And created a brand new way of life for millions. And you know what? <laughs> Asterisk in a good way. <laughs> I have to say it's kind of poetic that the beginning of his life with his birthday and the end of his life with Gage being misspelled were bookended by clerical errors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also enjoy the idea that maybe the funniest festival was sponsored by Funyuns. <laughs> they were point. actually, they were a sponsor for... 96, 97, and 99. Mm. Um, oh, that was peak there was, Funyuns years for me. There was some, there was some dispute for 98, yeah, which is 98, why they... 98, the Monica Lewinsky stuff just... Yeah, it ruined Funyuns. It. Yeah, it ruined Funyuns for that year. We, can't, we don't have time to go into it. That's another alternate history. <laughs> Josh, thank you. Before we dive any deeper into that... <laughs> 
listeners, before we move on, um, I do want to mention one more time uh, that we talked about it last episode. Uh, we are doing a charity fundraiser with some of our uh, t-shirts that I maybe found when I was cleaning out the apartment. Um, if you... <clears throat> excuse me. If you make a donation of $20 or more to the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, um, which fights for the rights of trans and gender nonconforming, gender non-binary people, um, both incarcerated and not, um, if you make that donation and send a screenshot of that, of your receipt to um, revisionistpodcast at gmail.com, and along with your shirt size and shipping info, we'll send you a t-shirt. Um, definitely, I've sent out some already, uh, which is great. I think we only have one small left. Um, that's that's the only size small shirt we have. We have other sizes, but not that many. Um, so if you are able to do that, um, please do and support a good cause. Um, also, uh, sort of on the same note, I did get a uh, message from a listener this week. I'm, I don't know if they feel comfortable with me saying their name, um, but saying that listening to the show somehow uh, helped help them through what the last week has been, um, which was really, really nice to hear um, and very much appreciated. Um, we are very glad to help. Uh, it, and if we helped you, great. Uh, if we if we somehow made this week worse for you, keep it to yourself. Um, you probably so, should have stopped listening. If we were causing you additional anxiety, like, this is not the thing to worry about, man. You can give up. You can jump ship at yeah. any time. If you're feeling bad listening to this, just be like, I'm good. <laughs> when I, that, if you don't want to hear about vomit and brain splatter. Honestly, stop. if you made it this far, like, come on. Um, well, this is the episode that brought them back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got some freaks. Um, anyway, uh, as always, you can... Uh, <clears throat> as always, you can leave us a comment or ask us a question at revisionistpodcast.com um, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter Facebook, too, probably. I deactivated mine a while ago, so I don't keep track. Um, And review uh, the show on your podcast app of choice. Written reviews are especially helpful. Especially on uh, iTunes, because Mm -hmm. that uh, matters in terms of how we're found in search results and where we show up on charts and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, before we move on... uh, Josh, you co-host Predictacast, uh, and along with others. But do you want to tell the folks a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So, Predictacast is basically a show where we find movies that we know nothing about. We watch the first ten minutes, and then we try to predict what happens in the rest of the movie. Um, you can get a good sense of a film by the first ten minutes, and sort of have an idea of where it might go. And it's always fun when we get those that are very surprising to us. Um, as a result, we've covered a wide variety of films that maybe you've never heard of because we certainly hadn't. Um, So I encourage you to check us out in your podcast listening app of choice, uh, predictocast.com. We have like four years of of just crazy episodes and and we have fun. 
there's even an episode uh, years old at this point where uh, myself and my girlfriend slash former guest of this show, Shannon Camp, uh, guest hosted. Uh, yes, a, that's right. Uh, predict a cast episode. And we watched a terrible, a terrible, terrible movie about like a pair two or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I can like, I feel like I can count on one hand the number of movies that I've heard of that you've done out of all of them. Yeah, it's it gets a little wild, but but we have a good time. Um, and also hot diggity dog. I don't. Oh yeah, hot diggity dog. It's it's still we're still getting that off the ground on its own feed, but basically it's a it's a show where we watch a random dog movie from Amazon Prime usually because there is a whole ton of those for some reason. Um, and uh, Amazon Prime has gone to the dogs. It That's absolutely has. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have we have a lot of fun over there. And also, I'll recommend another thing, like that's related to Predicticast. If you like bad dog movies and you like Predicticast, that Cool Dog episode, Cool Dog, is a movie that I love to get high and watch. I have since college. <laughs> cool Dog's a great dog movie. Like it's yeah. it's it yeah. fits all the things that you want in a dog movie into that movie, and it's just it's so bizarre and it's yeah. it's wonderful. If you ever wanted a movie where a dog steals a car, <laughs> that's your <laughs> and drives it successfully through New York. Successfully, yeah. <laughs> There's very weird makeup choices in that movie. I remember. <laughs> That's yeah, fucking cool dog shout out. And it and it's also in that canon of film that has a song that was written for the movie. Yes, that yes. repeats the title of the movie a lot. You know, I've found that that seems to be a thing for dog movies. Like for whatever reason, we've done quite a few that have uh, their own songs sung by people you would know. There's one, I think, uh, Karate Dog. Has Randy Travis singing the theme song, and then <laughs> and then first dog where Eric Roberts plays the president and his dog goes on a cross country adventure. Dolly Parton contributes like three original songs. Hey, and that's what? another <laughs> another great choice for this week because once again we're gonna have a first dog and everybody's very yes. excited about it. So yes, yeah. oh man. Um, wait, what year did First Dog come out? I think it's like, uh, it's like 2006 or seven, maybe? It's not that old. Actually, it might be 2010. I'm surprised 2010 Eric Roberts could get Dolly Parton. But anyway, that's, that's also just me. (laughs) That actually, we... We did just post that episode in our Hot Diggity Dog feed. So if you're interested in, in checking that out, because we were excited that there's going to be a first dog again. So we're like, hey, we got to put this out. Uh, so yeah, go listen to that. Wait, like you hear the title first dog, though, and it's like 50% chance it's the plot you described. 50% yes. chance the president gets turned into a dog through magic <laughs> and has to learn a lesson. I mean, it could also be that. It should be that, probably. <laughs> well, it's just like there's also that genre of movies that's the president's daughter is involved in, like, some sort of <laughs> yes. escapade. Um, anyway, um, cool. Uh, Zach, did you have anything you want to mention? Uh, as per usual, if you uh, if you like the novel concept of a trio of straight white dudes talking about movies on a podcast. You can always listen to the movie trap with myself and Russell Carlson and Chris Boreff. Brian's been on an episode. 
it's a continuation of a podcast we started literally 10 years ago and revived because it's the pandemic and we ain't got fuck all else to do. Um, but yeah, it's a fun sort of gamified version of a movie review podcast. And you can check it out wherever there be podcasts or a video version on YouTube. <laughs> Sorry, you said it like a pirate. Um, yeah, as for me, listeners, uh, yet uh, I'll go back to mentioning giving blood because live stand-up comedy is not a thing I feel safe doing. So there's nothing to plug in that area. Um, but yeah, give blood, uh, blood banks need it all year round. And especially during a pandemic when donations are down, um, it's something you can do that is, is safe and helpful and very low impact for you. Um, so please do that if you can. Um, but, uh, judgment falls to me this episode and... Um, I have to say in the, yeah, five years we've been, we've been doing this podcast, 122 episodes, there has never been an actual or alternate history that made me viscerally feel something the way Josh's alternate history did. So I got to <laughs> give my vote to that. Um, well, thank you. To the actual physical reaction I felt, um, <laughs> for that um but yeah listeners uh voting is now open on patreon and check out um instagram next wednesday uh for the final round of voting um but if yeah that's follow us it'll come up in our stories and you can click mm-hmm. the little story button and it's exactly easy enough um but yeah that should do it for this episode uh josh thank you so much for joining us Thank you very much for having me. It was great. Uh, Zach, thank you as always. Of course. Uh, For everyone here at The Revisionist, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time. I don't have to make up a Halloween sign-off for another year. (laughs) It's great. November 14th, 1856. Moby Dick is published in the U.S., leading Herman Melville's son to awkwardly explain to him why everyone is laughing at the title. November 14th, 1886. Friedrich Seineken invents the hole puncher, making November 14th officially the most boring day in the universe. Um, last one. November 14th, 1886. Friedrich Seineken invents the hole puncher, so you know that dude fucks. All right. I've got a few. We can also try. Uh, Again, I agree with you. There was so little going on in this day in history. (laughs) Usually there's like some really exciting shit. Not this time. I even looked through like the births and deaths. I did too. And it was like, wow, just nothing. Uh, November 14th, 1960. Ruby Bridges becomes the first black child to to attend an all-white elementary school in Louisiana. The white students, out of respect, don't co-opt her style, art, or slang until third period. (laughs) November 14th, 1969. NASA launches Apollo 12, the second crewed mission to the surface of the moon. Siskel and Ebert pan it as derivative of Apollo 11.